Are you an agent struggling to understand real estate economics? Would you benefit from learning how top agents structure their businesses? Then you've come to the right place. And welcome to the first ever Nerdy Agent Podcast, where we teach you the basic economic and business principles that you need to thrive in today's real estate market. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brothers, Josh and AJ. Welcome, guys. Thanks. First ever. We're really excited. This is fun. So a little bit of background for the listeners to get an idea on why we started this podcast. Uh, Last week, I was driving some of my 20,000 miles. Shout out QuickBooks for tracking my mileage. We will get into that uh, in another podcast. Um, and I was thinking about how recently in the last couple of months, especially, uh, a lot of people have been talking about the economy um, and real estate kind of being interconnected and how it affects our careers. And so I was looking around trying to figure out where can I find information that um, can give me what I need to add value for my clients in order to understand the economic side of real estate and kind of what that looks like. And I found that a lot of podcasts out there. Um, and a lot of just information online doesn't really give you that. It gives you a lot of different value in real estate. Um, and so I talked to these guys being the smartest two people I know. I am biased because they're my brothers. Um, and thought these two know a lot about the economy in general. They have different backgrounds that lend them to know more about it. But then they also follow it religiously. Um, and a lot of stuff that I learn on a daily basis is from them. So I thought what better way to add value for other agents in this market than to get them together and ask them some questions that I find would be helpful for myself, um, but then also that the listeners might find some value in as well. Um, So essentially the goal of this podcast is to bring you that knowledge so you can position yourself uh, in the marketplace as an expert amongst your friends, family, and even strangers on the train, as Josh wanted to add on that one. (laughs) On top of real estate economics stuff, basic principles I will teach you, we will also bring you some basic business stuff, um, kind of back-end business stuff that can help you um, succeed in this career. Um, so essentially what I want to do then to start, just cause this is the first episode. Um, if you guys just give us a breakdown kind of on where you've been, what that looks like, we'll start with Josh cause he is the oldest. Sure. Sure. I'm excited to nerd out with you guys today. Um, so my background in the real estate, obviously as you guys know, uh, but listeners don't is a little more non-conventional. So I, uh, got a business degree in school, did my MBA and actually started the corporate world. So I worked corporate for 12 years. Um, really focusing in at large organizations, mostly Fortune 100 companies on a variety of roles, uh, procurement, strategy, negotiations, analytics, pricing, um, all of those different roles. And in that process, learned a lot of unique things that I feel like helped me bring different perspective to clients now being in the real estate world. Um, but jumped into the real estate world because as I was going through that journey, I was looking for something unique outside of that to kind of fulfill my passions and that became real estate investing. And so we started a real estate investing company. We can Maybe talk about that at a future date. Um, and as I got further into real estate investing, realized I really enjoyed uh, learning about houses, learning about what makes a good house and what makes a good investment. And then from there, uh, decided that it'd be a lot more fun to hang out with you guys every day and uh, sell real estate and help clients and help people make a difference in their life. Uh, then continue my journey in the corporate world. So that's kind of what led me here. I hope my background, though, creates a little bit of uh, a unique perspective, both for my clients on a day-to-day basis, having that large corporate experience, um, and my ability to then take that and, and apply it into this real estate space, and hopefully it's helpful for uh, listeners and viewers as well. Awesome. Thank you. AJ. Yes. Yes. Thanks Talk for having me here. This is going to be fun, guys. Um, well, so I got my first degree in 
baseball statistics. That's where I discovered my love of math, and I think both my brothers would say the same. Um, Shout out to baseball cards. Yes, so, uh, you know, I learned that 1 for 7 is 143, and 2 for 7 is 286, and 3 for 7 is 429. And you learn a lot of other numbers um, based on just being a baseball player, um, following along with sports, uh, and that's where my love of math came in. Uh, I actually played baseball at the University of Minnesota. I was an economics major there. Um, developed a like a strong passion for understanding marketplaces. And once I got done playing baseball with the Twins in 2014, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And um, I discovered that real estate, as Luke alluded to, is is not super flush with people who know the market side of things um, and the economics and how things impact each other. So um, I thought maybe this would be a good fit. Um, really took that passion on and, and kind of have just developed it over the years. And so I always say, um, you know, like the pandemic, what's going on now, all that stuff is, um, it's a luxury for me to be very excited about them because it's fun to follow along, uh, to be the expert and to understand how things are impacting each other. So yeah, I got into this in 2014, uh, started a team in 2017, 18, started investing in 2017. Um, yeah, and here we are now, uh, learning about even dorkier, nerdier stuff than we ever thought we would. Um, so again, yeah, hope you guys, uh, listeners, enjoy the content we put out. Hope we don't get too in the weeds and uh, hopefully some good business principles and some good data. I will make sure when they get in the weeds to pull them back. <laughs> that's, my, that's my job in this podcast. Um, but then getting into it today, um, today's episode, we're going to go bare bones on the economic side of things, talk specifically about the Federal Reserve interest rates, how those two go together, because that's mostly what people are talking about in today's real estate market. And then we're just going to talk about from a business standpoint, why a routine, routine, daily routine for real estate agents is really important. Um, but just getting into the bare bones of things then, AJ, give us an idea of what the Federal Reserve is and what they do. Yeah. So um, sometime between the Revolutionary War and the early 1900s, um, money was kind of created in the United States, right? And the US dollar became a thing. And there was several uh, instances of, um, you know, financial uh, issues that that came up in regards to the economy and marketplaces. And there was no one really regulating what was going on with that dollar or with those markets. And so I'm not sure who came up with the idea. I believe it was a presidential um, sort of thing. And Congress came together and they said, hey, what if we what if we had, uh, you know, this one group of people that were economists that made larger decisions on behalf of the government and behalf of the banks and then thus the consumers as well and were able to maybe alleviate some of these issues and make them um, not last as long and also make them not go as deep um, in the way that they cut through the economy. So um, basically you can think of the, of the central bank, um, the Federal Reserve as the central bank of the United States they are the government's bank and the banker's bank is the, is the way that you can think about it. And just so we get to this before we get to the next point here, um, they meet a certain amount of times each year to decide what they're going to do on fiscal policy. Correct. Yeah, they do lots of different things. There's a lot of, comp there's a lot of complexity to what they do. Um, since we're talking real estate, the two things that I would focus on um, would be quantitative easing, which is the buying of mortgage-backed securities um, to increase the demand and keep the rates artificially low. 
they started doing that after the, um, the great financial crisis in 2008. Uh, and they've now started to uh, basically roll back that paper. So they're, they're, um, they've become a seller on the mortgage-backed security market, um, which has left, uh, left rates open for you know, becoming unhinged, as we kind of saw, um, because people don't have the backstop that they, that they once did when they're buying those bonds. So um, the quantitative easing is one thing to focus on. So right now their policy is that they're going to be a seller. They're gonna draw down their balance of mortgage-backed securities. We're talking like trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of mortgages um, that they are now a seller rather than a buyer. Um, so keep an eye on that because that'll be important to know at those meetings is maybe they flip and they decide that they're gonna start implementing quantitative easing again and become a buyer. Um, but if they don't, um, rates are going to kind of run at, at market, right? Um, the other thing that they're doing right now, which is the hot button topic that everybody's seeing, and if you look at mainstream media, they're saying, the Fed's raising the rate, like mortgage rates, everything, bah! like everybody's freaking out. Um, the rate that they actually control is the 24-hour overnight rate that banks loan between themselves. So um, when the pandemic hit, they dropped it to 0 to 0 0.25 as the benchmark, which is as low I don't know, maybe it could go negative, but it's never gone negative. So it sat there for a very long time. And the example you give in that situation, just so that the listeners understand, is the, the money the banks lend. So if Wells Fargo wanted to get money from US Bank to buy something. This is the benchmark number that they're suggesting they should be loaning to each other exactly. at. So they're, they're controlling how that works. So thus you could see how that might impact mortgage rates, car loans, credit cards, right? Because if you understand the, the, the banking industry, um, which I hope if you're here, you do. Uh, they don't actually have all of your money at the bank. Um, your $100 is more like 10 or $12 at the bank. Um, they loan the rest of it out to then create, you know, they're creating more loans and more credit and more debt. And that's what most of our economy runs on. Um, so yes, when they, when they raise that rate, it impacts short-term financing option rates. It impacts long-term financing rates. Um, but it doesn't always move in step um, necessarily as much uh, as people might think. So um, yeah, I don't know if we want to get more into mortgage rates. Or I would not, say we should we should definitely get into mortgage rates because that leads to that. Is that's that's the the big hot button topic that we talk about probably in every single one of our team meetings right now is the Fed's meeting tomorrow. They said they're going to raise the overnight rate. What does that mean for mortgage rates, and what should people know about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's also. Highly important, right? It's important for us to call out on this, why we do this, right? Is to help agents be more successful. So part of the reason why we think this is so important is because as an agent, it's important to be credible for your clients. So your clients are going to ask you about mortgage rates. And if you're like, well, the Fed is reading and they're raising rates, so therefore your rates are going to go up. You should buy a house now. If you're giving them incorrect information, you're not actually helping them the way you want to, right? We talk with our team every day about your job is not just to open a door. Your job is to know everything there is about the house. Your job is to know everything there is about the process. And your job is to be an expert for your clients. And so this right now, based on the way rates have changed in the last 12 to 24, uh, 24 months, is hugely important because it's affecting clients in the range of $100, $200 to $400 a month in how their rates have fluctuated. And so knowing how this stuff works and what's likely going to continue to happen, or at least arming them with that information, helps you be a better support system for your clients. Um, but to get back into your question, I think at a high level, the way that I explain to people is AJ's point, the overnight rate goes up. That doesn't necessarily just mean that tomorrow the mortgage rate is going to go up. In, theory, in thought, though, 
the reality is, is the overnight rate is, I kind of think of it as a input factor, right? If I'm buying this t-shirt and the material costs of this t-shirt go up, in theory, the price of the t-shirt will be going up as well. But when it comes to mortgage rates, there's a couple different components that impact how they're actually set, right? Um, but the first and foremost, it's, it's, as you think about bond yields, expectations of future rates, those are two major things that actually impact how mortgage rates go. So banks do a lot more than just uh, lend money on these rates. There's also this component of um, time and expectations, right? And so if the banks are looking at that input cost and saying, in the future, that rate is going to go up, they are pricing that in. You hear that a lot when you read about mortgage rates. If the expectations are that you're gonna see changes, a lot of times those expectations have already been included into the future prices of mortgage rates. So for example, rates went up 75 points on the overnight rate, but mortgage rates dropped the same day. Everyone assumed that rates would go up as the Fed increased rates, but the reality was is a lot of the mortgage ba or the banks had been taking that into consideration. So you're essentially saying if the Fed's meeting tomorrow, the, the banks on the back end have already decided what they're going to do because they essentially, they've already priced whatever increase they're going to do because in today's day and age, the Fed's basically telling you before they meet what they're gonna end up doing. Precisely, and the reality is, is every bank is thinking about how they're going to be making money. So they are investing a lot of your money, as AJ said. There's a lot of different ways they can invest that money. The 10-year treasury is the one that's most commonly linked to mortgage rates. And so think of it as this way, is if you can get government money on a 10-year amortization schedule very, very cheaply, uh, or, or at a higher interest rate that you're making money on, back on that, you're not going to necessarily invest in mortgages if they're around the same interest rates. You need, in, uh, essentially, a higher rate of return for a higher risk there. And so it becomes supply and demand at that point. Yes, and just the reality of risk versus reward, right? So if the, if the United States Treasury is going to give you 2.7% on a 10-year bond, mm -hmm. interest rates aren't going to be 2.7% because banks are not going to, they're going to require a higher yield for a higher risk asset. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of some of the different components that factor into kind of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's important too is to understand the time horizon of a 30-year mortgage. And that's what yep. we talk a lot about as a team is they're not just setting a rate and then saying like, I got a really high rate, you know, bank. This is great. We're going to make tons of money on all this interest we're bringing in. The, the way they make money is by having the highest rate possible for the longest amount of time. And so refinance risk is a very real thing, um, especially in an environment where rates went 2.75 to 6% yep. in two months. And now a lot of the traders are trading like, the, we're going to go into a recession. The overnight rate is going to be up to maybe 3.5. I think currently it's 225 to 2.5. And at that point, it will be unsustainable for the economy and they're going to have to bring it back down. Now that's just, Research. That's not me telling anybody that's what's going to happen, but that's what they're trading like right now as they're concerned about refinances in the future. Essentially saying again, the secondary market is making decisions on what the Fed's going to do in the future right now. Mm -hmm. And even though the Fed raised 75 basis points last time they met, the secondary market is still thinking that they're going to pull that back at some point. So they're trading like they're going to pull it back. Exactly. And think of it this way. If I lent you money, if I gave you $5,000 and I got an interest rate of 10%, right? That seems like a really good deal. But if that is paid over 30 years, and I know that AJ will be willing to come in in one month and lend you money at 5%, it's not actually great for me to take that extra rate on the front end because the reality is, is you're just going to take AJ's money and pay me off and I'm not going to actually get much. 
from lending you money. And in this market, now you might be stuck with, now that the rates are, if they're going backwards, now you're stuck with a lower piece of paper, right? You're stuck with at a lower point. rate at the market rate at the time. So you, they try to kind of sit like at a spot where they think they're going to get the best length out of it is really what they're trying to trade at right now, which is really interesting to watch. Right. So in theory, in that example, if I let you money at 5.5% and there's a essentially a cost of taking AJ's loan, mm -hmm. I'm actually doing better because you might hold on to that loan for a longer period of time and pay me more interest mm -hmm. than if I got it at 10%. So the, the algorithms and how these rates are, are working are considering all of these different factors when they're putting their rates out there. And not to get too into the weeds on it, but can I a little bit? Yes. You can go okay, so, so right now we're seeing really interesting buy-down options because those lenders want people to get into lower rates and they want to capture their money right now. Wait, 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 wait. what is a buy down? Sorry. Um, so a buy down is when someone puts more money down at closing, um, call it points. So one point equals 1% of the total mortgage. Um, one point is buying you like twice as much as it was like six months ago. It's also almost impossible to get a no cost loan right now. Because in the same breath, what is a no cost loan? A no cost loan would be the opposite direction, right? So the lender is basically buying back points from you. So um, you're taking a higher rate for a lower cash to close. Exactly. Yep. And so like, yeah, you could get an 8% interest rate for no cost right now, but they know you're just going to refi that as soon as you see a, a more attractive rate. And so they don't want to do that. They, they want you to be locked in at a rate that's kind of on the downswing so that your refi happens later. And they've already captured, let's say you know, one and a half points, which on a regular mortgage is four or $5,000. Now they take that money and they can reinvest it in something else. So, so what, if, if we're looking at the normal market right now, what is one point buying you? How much of an interest rate? Roughly. Uh, I know it's hard to know. It depends. I don't like to quote, um, those things, but I'd say I've heard anywhere from like a quarter to like three eighths, okay. I want to say. Mm -hmm. Um, but of again, a, of a percentage on your interest, of rate. a percentage on your interest rate. Yep. But, but it, uh, it does change every day and we could, we can obviously, when we post the video, get somebody, something that's a little more updated with, sure. with a lender. Let's pull back from the weeds then. All right. Sorry. We're getting into the weeds. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm at my buddy's house on Saturday or I'm at a family gathering and I'm the real estate agent, so everybody talks about the market and where things are at. And someone says rates are going up because the fed is going to raise the overnight rate. What can I say? to instantly put me in a position where if people are listening, go, that person knows what they're talking about. They must be good at being a real estate agent. Do you want me to take it? You want to take it? Go ahead. Um, I, script. I love, I love scripts like this. Um, and, and the reason, again, I want to take it back a little bit on that because I think the, the reason that this is important is because I think most agents, they get the question like, how's the market? And they say like, it's hot, great. It's really busy. And you're like, okay, I don't even know what that means, but I don't have any follow-up questions to that. Um, but when you get a question like, the Fed's raising the rate and the mortgage rates are going to go up and you have a really awesome answer. And most of the time it's not even a question, it's just a statement. It's right? a statement, right? Yeah, and you have a, you have a really great answer. Um, you get follow-up questions to that kind of stuff. So yep. I, I would say, well, you know, that's not really how it works. And in, in today's environment, that I would go through all the stuff we just talked about, which is most of the traders... Main points, though. I'd say main more, easy points. Yeah. I would say the market is trading like the Fed is only going to be able to raise the rate one more point. So 1% higher than it is right now. And they are factoring in that, the, that they are going to have to bring it back down by mid next year. Not saying that's going to happen, but that's what they're saying. That's what they're trading like. Yep. 
And so the anticipation is that the rates are going to go down. So they're kind of holding pat at where they are right now. Um, and, and the overnight rate isn't directly impacting the mortgage rates at this time. You look at the 10-year treasury yield, like Josh said, it's down almost 1% since the high of like 3.55. I think it's in the two sixes today. Yep. Um, so that's what's influenced that 30-year rate. And giving a specific example, the Fed, I don't know which day it was, it was last week or the week prior, raised 75 basis points, 0.75% on the overnight rate. And what happened to the secondary market? Went down, same day. Half, down. A, half a percent almost. Went down. Over so you can, but giving them also that specific is like, yes. no, no, they raised it. And the secondary 30-year mortgage rates went down the same day. So they are, they are, they are in theory and in principle correlated in some way. As the, th as the overnight rate goes up, the secondary market rates will go up. But the reality is, at this point in time, the back-end things like AJ talked about with the way the points are working and the way lenders are operating suggest that most of the algorithms and the lenders feel as though rates will likely be coming down in the future. Mm -hmm. Maybe not tomorrow, Maybe not three months, maybe not six months, but some point in the future, the signals right now suggest rates actually will be going back the other direction. So when the Fed raises rates one more time at least, which is what will be likely happening based on what we've seen, it doesn't still necessarily mean mortgage rates will go up. Most of the signals we're seeing are saying they will go down. So that's kind of some of the ways that I would describe it to people, but yeah. I tend to nerd out. That's just... And, that's your, and that's your daily script. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get out of the nerdy economics for the day. Uh, Josh, we were discussing the simple business processes before, uh, how a routine is important. Yeah. I do think that, I personally believe, but one of the hardest parts about being a real estate agent is the accountability factor. There's yep. nobody looking down on you telling exactly what you should do. Um, and it's easy to just take time off when nobody's forcing you to do the hard parts of your business. Um, so what can agents do to stay on top of that, making sure that... They're following the same routine day in, day out to make sure they're creating much, as much business as possible. Yeah, and I think we picked this for the first episode because it's so simple, but it's so important, right? Like when I worked in the corporate world, I couldn't get away with not having a routine. Like if I didn't get to work at 8 o'clock, someone was like, where the heck are you? Right? Like I was expected to be there. I was expected to be in meetings all day long. And I was expected to get things done by other people. You become a real estate agent, and maybe it's your first job out of college for a lot of people. There's no one looking over your shoulder telling you you have to do anything you don't go work, you'll make no money, you'll have no clients, but there's no one forcing you to do that other than yourself. And so one thing I feel like what we've seen, and we've talked about a lot of our agencies, even newer agents, they struggle with this. They get into the job and they go, okay, what am I supposed to do today? And building a system and building routine is hugely important. Um, the ones we've seen struggle actually have not been able to do that. Uh, there are four things that I do that are really basic, but are really important. Uh, one, it sounds crazy, but waking up and going to bed at the same time every night, it makes a huge difference. So I go to bed between 10 and 11 every night. I wake up seven hours from the time that I go to bed. So if I go to bed at 10.30, I set my alarm for 5.30 and I wake up that time every day. If you go to bed at eight one night and wake up at five and the next night you go to bed at two in the morning and wake up at 10, you're never gonna be able to create a constant routine and you're gonna find yourself wasting days and never knowing when you're working. Um, with that, I also say align that thought process with when you're productive, right? Me, AJ, I think you too are all hyper-productive really early in the morning when no one else is awake. So I like waking up at 5 or 5.30 because then I'm working for an hour and a half before my kids are awake and before anyone is bothering me. The only person that's bothering me during that time is usually AJ or you, right? Because we're both awake working. Um, but if I can get a head start in the day and focus in on being hyper-productive during the times that I'm actually awake and hyper-productive, aligning that schedule line around makes a big difference. 
Um, I also find that in the middle of the day, I kind of hit a wall, like around lunchtime. So I tend to try to exercise, eat well, maybe meditate during those time frames to try to get my energy back to be able to have a second wind for the second half of the day. Also, just make sure I point that out. That doesn't mean you need to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to be a successful real estate agent. Like nope. he does. You could wake up at 10 and you could work until 6 or 8 or whatever that Some is. Some people are the opposite. Whenever you're productive is the best way. The thing about that's cool about real estate is you have nobody above you telling you when you need to be working. Yeah. No, there are a lot of night owls that like to work it from 10 to midnight. And it works. And it works great for them because, yeah, that's their, that's their productive time. Um, last two things, task management systems and calendars, right? The number of people that don't use a task management system and don't use a calendar astonishes me. My brain would lose all of the things that I have to do if I didn't have a system that was telling me to do these things. So I use TickTick. I know you use TickTick. AJ's still on Google Tasks. We'll convert them eventually. But having a system of tasks and what I do now, this is a shout out to a close friend of mine, Danny Bruflot. She built a productivity system. Uh, she has an incredible planner. But I actually take my TickTick every morning and put it into a physical calendar and a to-do list of my top three things I got to do every day, uh, all my other tasks, all my meeting, my thoughts and notes for the day actually the first thing I do when I wake up at 5.30 in the morning is look at my day and plan out how it's all going to come together. Because without that, it's very easy to get lost and multitask at a thousand things on the to-do list and not know what's important. Um, and then lastly, calendar, right? Like, we have meetings throughout the day. I have probably six meetings today. If I didn't have a calendar telling me where to be and when, I would miss stuff all the time. You don't want to miss a meeting with a client or a showing or a, you know, a meeting with another potential agent. You, you want to be on top of your calendar. So both having that calendar up to date, both your life and your day is hugely important. Uh, and ensuring that you're seeing that as you're planning out your tasks for the day uh, and really building a plan of attacking the day. So always have a routine. Yep. Always have a task management system. Yep. And follow your calendar religiously. Yep. Are the big things there. Um, I also had on here that I think, and I think real estate agents struggle with this a lot. And you mentioned multitasking. Yeah. Um, I definitely struggle with, with it. I struggle with it to the point where on my computer, on a uh, post-it note says, are you multitasking question mark um, to make sure that I'm paying attention to if I am or not. Um, wh what can agents do to avoid this from a task management calendar standpoint? You touched on it. It's really hard in this job too, because there are so many moments in which you're like, I'm going to do these three things. And then two other things come into you. Mm -hmm. any, like you can get an email with an offer on it at any given time. You can have a client that wants to see a house in five minutes, right? Like it happens constantly. But if you plan your day out very successfully and know when you're going to do what you're going to do, um, you can either A, devote that time. So I can even tell people, like, if you have a list of three important things to get done today and you have your calendar, put those things into your calendar. From 10 to 10.30, I'm going to work on this task. And have your calendar full of day with your tasks in there, too. Because then you know during that time slot, I have to do these things, right? Also, if you have things that come in and they're, they're coming in to try to distract your brain, either turn your stuff off, put your phone away, close your email, um, or have open time where you can focus in on those things and then devote to them in those moments. Uh, but if you allow yourself to just have your phone buzzing constantly uh, or your, your phone ringing constantly during those time frames with, or without any blocked time, what you're going to find is you're going to get multitasked to death. And when you feel multitasked to death, what you do is essentially open your phone and look at cat videos, right? Like it's, I mean, escape from this chaos and then you get nothing yeah. done. I think, I think getting into that, both of these nerds, as we call them, uh, love to use their do not disturb function on their yep. phone. So I give them a call and it goes straight to voicemail. And I'm like, dang it, they're on do not disturb. They don't want to talk to me right now. Um, and I think that's something like you talk about turning it off. Do not disturb. You won't get notifications. Yep. And then don't have your email open if you're doing something because you're going to see the number one pop up in there and that you got a new email. Absolutely. Um, which works. And that's think, good information on the routine stuff. Um, I think just to finish up here, I did 
uh, as we were making this agenda, I saw the weekly NAR stats for the Minneapolis area. For those who don't know, we are in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. Um, and I thought since that people look at these stats, they don't really know what's going on. Um, let's explain them to the listeners. Um, and then if Jeff could also get like a, a graphic of that right here in my hands, that'd be sweet. Um, and then AJ can explain what those are from a new listings, pending sales inventory standpoint. Yeah. So each week, um, we look at the, basically it's like a week over week change. So it's, it's the same week, uh, in 2021 compared to the, to the, the previous week we just had in 2022. Um, so for, for this week, it was, uh, 13.5% less new listings, uh, when compared to 2021. Call it to Luke for not being on do not disturb. (laughs) (laughs) It was 25 0.1% less pending sales and inventory was up 9.7%. Now these three numbers work together. So um, when the new listing activity goes down by less than the pending sale activity, the inventory is going to increase. So it's just a math problem for everyone out there. The inventory number is an output of those first two numbers and that's what we're tracking. This took me a while to figure out. So I think a good way to look at it is going to be looking like that's a negative number. Yes. And then subtracting them versus you see like 25, 13, 12 difference. It's not that way. It's that pending sales are down more than new listings are down. So you have more inventory. Correct. You have more houses on the market. Correct. Yeah. So like, let's, yeah, let's say if this was in numbers of a hundred, you know, we had 87 new listings, um, but let's say we had a hundred homes on the market uh, and we are hundred normally have a hundred sales and we only had 75. We added 12 homes to the market. So the inventory number went up a little bit. So what we're seeing right now is the 2021 numbers um, got surpassed by the 2022 inventory numbers uh, fairly quickly about six weeks ago. Um, we're now sitting around 8,500 to 9,000 active listings. Um, but for reference, again, and we'll talk about this a lot, uh, when I got in real estate in 2014, 15, we had about 20,000 listings on the market. So we're still less than half of what we had then. And that market was still a seller's market to be honest. So um, yeah, that we'll, we'll talk more on that as we, as yeah. we move along through I, this. I, we already did the script for the day, but another script that could be used in this situation with these stats, which we will probably talk about each week just to give you an update on where it's at. If you go on social media and you shoot a video and you post it and say, Hey, here's where the stats are at this week. This is what these mean. You could literally just say what AJ just said um, and position yourself as understanding what the inventory looks like as an expert in the real estate market. Um, but I think that's all we have time for today. Yeah. I think that's a wrap for the first ever nerdy agent podcast. Thank you guys for coming on. We are planning on doing this each week. Um, we'll plan some topics and we'll get after it next week as well. All right. See you next Sounds time. Good. Awesome. See ya.